Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas for $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Helix mattresses have been recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Everybody is unique and everyone sleeps differently. That's why Helix has several different mattress models to choose from, each designed for specific sleep positions and feel preferences. So how will you know which Helix mattress works best for you and your body? You can take the Helix sleep quiz and find your perfect mattress in under two minutes. And your personalized mattress is shipped straight to your door free of charge. Helix knows there's no better way to test out a new mattress than by sleeping on it in your own home. That's why they offer a 100-night trial and a 10-15 to year warranty to try out your new Helix mattress. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash drink. That's helixsleep.com slash drink. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. It really is just like a little... He really is just like a puddle of a cat. Like if a solid cat melted. Yeah. That's what he looks like. He's so seepy. Pink ears. Hello and welcome to Kitty Cat Central. Oh, the Kitty Cat Corner. Where we're still uh, trapped by the coronavirus. Kitty (laughs) Cat. Cat Rona virus. Nope. Okay. Anyway, yes, we are still all in trouble, huh? Huh. Well, nothing's changed. Nothing seems to have changed. Uh, <laughs> at least in the five minutes that we've been here. I don't know what's happened in the last week. For all we know, this is like like the whole like nation has that's, shut down. That's true. We are recording this early, so who knows when this comes out? We don't. We missed a week of. Uh, are we alive updates. anymore? I don't know. Is this our time capsule? Maybe this is where we like verbally state our will. Oh, okay. I want everything that belongs to you. I only want Gio and and Juniper when he's sleeping. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you can work that out with Blaze. Okay. Uh, uh, okay. Hello, everyone. How are you, Em? How am I? Hmm. Well, fine. It's still rainy. It's gloomy here. I love a good gloom, though. No, it's Gloom nice. and doom, like you and me. It's fun. <laughs> That's what we do. <laughs> um, That's our whole aesthetic. I well now that we're not going to Seattle, I was actually supposed to go to Seattle today. Yeah, to go be with my family. Um, Oops. And, whoopsies. That's uh, not seeing them. Uh, so what am I gonna do now instead? Hmm, I don't know. We're I, just gonna record more episodes. I forgot to tell you last night. I went to. Um, so every uh, March 11th is CNU Day. I went. So CNU is my college. Oh, that's and, Eva's birthday. Yes, and it's also it's also CNU Day. So back off, Eva. Jeez, jeez, Eva, stop um, steal everything. So every March 11th, CNU has uh, an annual reunion in like the 20 most populous cities oh, of sure. alumni, and so you can like go to like a major city near you and like have a little reunion with other people who live oh. near you. So I went to my CNU Day yesterday which was very fun and i had wanted to go for a long time but when i lived in virginia they didn't have a fredericksburg one then i moved to boston and then they like didn't have a boston one then i moved here and they didn't have an la one but now they had a boston one and like i didn't live there anymore 
And then they finally had an LA one and I was going to go, but then we had our show in Orlando. So oh, I was that's like, right. I forgot. So I was like, damn, I can't go to the LA one, but I'll go to the Orlando one. And then I got Florida. Yeah. So then I couldn't go to the Orlando one. And so the universe trying to tell you something, my friend. Well, then yesterday, it like, I totally forgot that I'd signed up for it. And I saw like my, so my neighbor across the street from me back home, um, she also went to CNU. And so she posted about how she was going to like CNU Denver. And I was like, oh, well. I totally forgot that I'd signed up, so I have to... And it was in, like, an hour, and I was like, gotta go! You went? So I finally went after, like, Fun. four years. Where was it? Uh, it was in Culver City, so it was, like, a whole hour drive away. Wow. But I actually... So, for those of you who follow me on Instagram, and I think I mentioned this of a while back, but I actually have two friends that went to college uh, that also went to CNU that live out here now, because I... Oh, yeah, you found their car. I found their car and wrote a note on their windshield and then demanded they be friends like with me. a big old creep. I love it. That's how we make friends. And the three of us are actually really good friends, so we all went there together, and we were like, just in case we don't know anybody oh, else, at least we know each other. Oh, have a partner in these kind of things. It was a good time. We all had a good time. That's fun. So that's my that's my story for this week. What about you, Christine? Uh, amazing. Well, I am kind of excited. Speaking of, well, we weren't really speaking of Boston, but speaking of Boston University, sure. our graduate school, uh, one of my good friends from BU... I just, I'm like so excited. He started a podcast um, and it like won some award and now he's making this podcast and it's so funny and so good. And I just wanted to do a little braggy brag because he's just such a good Who guy. Who is this person? His name's Jamie and he, you know, has like a TA, like a mm-hmm. grad TA. He was um, kind of like the, I think he was like the head of that little group. Um, oh, the TA of TAs. The TA, kind of the TA of TAs. Yeah. I hear you. Um, and so he, uh, so remember the show Car Talk? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's kind of like car talk, um, but it's for like tech stuff. Oh, and so tech talk. sort of it's called TikTok. Oh, right, he invented TikTok. I see. It's a podcast, right? Is that <laughs> am, I, am I getting that right? Um, no, so it's it's really fun. They just released their first couple episodes, um, and they're really fun to listen to. Like the first one, for example, is like, "Is Alexa listening to me?" Someone calls yes. in and says, like, hey, is Lex listening to me? This happened and this happened. And they kind of go through and see, like, well, could you have said this? And it did. The, you know, it's really fun to listen to. That's super to. cool. Yeah, it's really fun. Um, and so they take listener calls and questions. It's produced by a Car Talk producer. And they, like, work in Boston Public Radio. So that's kind of um, just a cool platform they have. Uh, and it's really cool. And it's it's uh, it's also very funny. And I'm just really, like, proud of them and excited. What's and the name of it? It's called No Signal. Sorry, no I should signal. probably say that before I before just Before people type in talking. Tech Talk a million times. Tick Tock, Tick Tock. Uh, no, it's, it's – uh, they took years planning, like, getting this ready to launch it. And um, they met – during BU, like during grad school, when when he was in grad school at, at BU with us, so yeah. Oh, there. Oh, I just saw in his email they're releasing a special coronavirus episode about how to disinfect your phones and iPads. Bingo, bingo, bingo. So, so no signal. They're about to like skyrocket in their numbers. I know. So it's called No Signal. It's really fun and like they've only released a couple episodes. So go check it out. Um, I'm just really excited and proud of him. And I, he's just such a cool guy. Oh, and he, um, he and his husband just had a baby, and the baby's ah! very cute. So I feel very involved in his life on Instagram right now. So I'm just really excited. <laughs> Apparently, but so I'm just he just is a great guy so check it out it's fun that's all precious uh awesome is there a reason why you drink beyond the virus by um, the way now we can probably just call it the virus the, TM, 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 tm tm which is the most like apocalyptic thing in the world <laughs> being like how are you doing with the virus but like in 100 years we'll be like remember like where were you during the virus yep exactly yeah um oh, i'm okay i mean why am i drinking i don't know um our okay. shows are getting canceled i'm really bummed out 
Yeah. Um, we're hoping the ones at least in like April, May, maybe we'll survive. We'll see. Uh, but keep... maybe by the time this comes out, we'll have made an, an, an announcement about yeah, that. <laughs> keep an eye on our social media. That's where it'll come out like most timely. Um, and that's about it. I, uh, I once again applied for verification, was rejected again. So who knows? I think someone just doesn't like me yet. Well, you know, whatever. Someone's on my side. I'll get over it. Um, yeah, not everyone's a member of the Christine Chapel, I suppose. But, uh, yeah, maybe I can actually, oh, you know what? That's what I'll do. I'll call in no signal and ask how the hell to get verified on Instagram. Ah, that's the one. Help me, Jamie. Um, um Great. Your turn. I don't think... Why do I drink? Hmm. Well, I also drink because I did plan on seeing so many people. I plan on being in Seattle, like I said. It feels like we're letting people down. Yeah, well, I had... So this actually, it works out in its own way. For now, at least. I'm sure once we are rescheduling everything, (laughs) it'll get hectic again. Really crazy. Yeah. But I was supposed to go to Seattle, be with my family, and then have the Seattle show, have the Portland show, hang out in Portland for a while with my friend that lives in Portland... Then come back just to repack, and then I was going to spend a week in D.C. to be with my family before the D.C. show, right. then do Philly, New York, and Boston. Then I was going to spend a couple days in Boston with our friend yep. and then fly straight from Boston to our Denver show. So I was, like, not going to be home for a whole ass month. And now the universe is like, you can't leave. And now Allison's like, let's hang out. And I'm like, ah! <laughs> so I'm very excited. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, you sound excited. It was a scream of, like, nervousness. I'm like, what does she have planned? So Okay. I also want to say our patron of the week is Dylan Stats. Stop Stats, I think. Hi, Dylan. Hi, Dylan. Thank you so much for your longtime support. You've been a supporter for many years, so I appreciate it. All right. Em is also appreciative, even though they're not totally expressing it. Grateful with all my mind, heart, soul, and body. Like, so much that it just overrode Em's entire nervous system. I mean, ah! Yeah, we all like that sound. Um, so thank you, Dylan. You are this week's sp- uh, sponsor, patron of the week. I don't know. Donator. Does anyone listen to this part? I don't know if anyone even cares about that. But this I- part or this show? Because no to both, probably. <laughs> Ouch. Um, anyway, that's all. Uh, come see Alexander and me live, too, because we are sad that I don't think anyone's going to buy tickets. <clears throat> Who knows what's happened by now? I know. Who knows if anybody ever is even listening to us anymore? Explore new possibilities, pleasure zones, and find your vibe at funlove.com. Funlove.com is a leading online retailer of sensual health and wellness products, offering a wide array of premier brands of toys, lingerie, and accessories. I know I've talked about it before, but we received the most lovely gift basket from Funlove. First of all, I didn't know what it was at first, and then when I pulled out a vibrator, I thought, oh boy, this is not your everyday fruit basket. There was everything, I'm telling you, from sexy perfumes, to toys, to vibrators, to lube. I mean, I gotta say, it's like a one-stop shop, okay? If you go to funlove.com and you're looking for maybe a romantic evening, either with a loved one or with yourself, they've got what you're looking for, I can promise you. So what are you waiting for? Explore, discover, indulge, and make love fun by visiting funlove.com. And if you live in Arizona or Colorado, check out one of their 18 store locations. Hey, maybe I'll stop by when I'm in town. And for a limited time, you can save 30% off your first order when you use the code DRINK at funlove.com. Head to funlove.com today and use code DRINK at checkout to save 30% off your first order. Visit funlove.com today. 
Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? You can grow lemon, avocado, olive, or fig trees inside your home on top of the wide variety of houseplants available. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online, and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. I am so thrilled that we are working with Fast Growing Trees. I spent about an hour and a half on the website trying to decide what I would love to order from their products. They have so many options and you can actually filter it by zones, by growing zones to make sure you know it'll work in your garden. Um, they have everything from massive privacy shrubs and trees to very, very specific flowers. I actually ended up ordering a lilac shrub for my garden. I recently discovered how much I love the smell of lilac and so I thought, you know what? Perfect chance. Why don't I get some lilac growing in my yard? I think it's going to smell beautiful. And I also got my mom a little lavender plant as an Easter present. Right now, they have some of the best deals online, like up to half off on select plants. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code DRINK at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com using the code DRINK at checkout. Fastgrowingtrees.com, code DRINK. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. So uh, my story this time is uh, another quickie, but I wanted to do an international story. I like to imagine that I'm not in America right now because... what, in Italy where everyone's I mean, I guess wherever you are in the world, you're probably in some version of a lockdown. There's a lot of bad things happening everywhere. Um, But so this one is from London. Okay. This is the story of the Langham Hotel. Ooh. Um, which I thought I was going to get more information and then it didn't, it, I didn't get too much. And then I was like, well, I already did this. So now I'm going to... Now it's I'm just sure, going to be a short set of notes. But I'm sure it's like dilute. It's like not diluted. It's like the best of the best. It's just concentrated entertainment. Concentrated. So get fucking ready. Spooks. So uh, it is one of the most haunted hotels in the UK. Again, why I thought that there would be more notes to this. Yeah. But, oh, well. Um, it is apparently most haunted in October. That is when the spirits really get crazy. Just live it up. And it's a 100-year-old five-star hotel. Again, in London. Five stars. Five stars. Okay. Bing, bing, boom. Uh, so it has had several celebrity guests, including Oscar Wilde, Taylor Swift, Gaga. Okay. What, we just went out. Oscar Wilde and Taylor Swift was my Across the generations. Yeah. They were probably going to be. Gaga and Oscar Wilde were absolutely going to be homies. They would have been pals for sure, yeah. Mark Twain, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, Charles de Gaulle, George Orwell, and of course, our favorite, and somehow getting brought up left and right, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. I thought you were Kenneth. Houdini? No. Will, fucking Walter? Trey Songs. Uh, <laughs> I thought Trey you songs. meant Trey Songs. Oh, um, my goodness. Oh, by the way, at my CNU uh, reunion, one of the people, I was actually in a fraternity with him, and he, at the time, was uh, trying to become a music producer, and uh he lives out here now and apparently he's produced songs for trey songs and i was like have you been upstairs are you what's making that goddamn noise in my apartment did you produce trey day (laughs) (laughs) mr Celia, girl tell him to shut up okay i still am waiting for gaga to get me all my cool new apple tv (laughs) tell gaga that i need something stat i need a whole new apartment yeah so lots of people have been there um in 1863 was when the hotel started being built. Um, it was designed intentionally to be a Renaissance-style palace. It was okay. It was meant to be a palace in Renaissance style. Love it. It was built by Jean Gilles. I assume that's how you pronounce G-I-L-E-S. Sure. And uh, fun fact about Jean Gilles, he was later known for designing asylums. 
okay, what a weird thing to be known for. Why He's would like, you I wanna... start at a five-star Renaissance-style Pal- palace. palace in London? And Maybe now... he had a fall from grace. I think that's exactly what happened. Because I feel like you'd only go up from the other direction, but... I mean, if you're, if you're starting at palaces, like, where it's, where do you have to go? There's such a far way to fall. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the building was completed in 1865 at the cost of 300,000 pounds, and that was in 1865. Woo! So today, that is almost 38 million pounds, Woo! or almost $49 million. Wowza, that's a lot of money. $50 million house. Palace, Pal- I'm sorry. How dare you? Asylum. Wait, no. Now I'm just getting them all <laughs> a mixed up. $50 million dollar asylum. I might want to stay in that fucking if it, asylum. If it's, a, I mean, sounds pretty, pretty swanky. Well, true to form in a London palace uh, extravaganza, it had an opening ceremony performed by the Prince of Wales, sure. a.k.a. future King Edward VII. Hey. Why not? Why not? Um, and immediately it became a hotel that was known for the wealthy, the elite, and royal. Mm. Um, here's a fun fact. It was the first hotel in London to have elevators, electric lighting, air conditioning, and a telephone. Really? Had all four of them. That is, wowza, high tech, man. I wonder what number they had. Was it like... A telephone. <laughs> like, it was a telephone, but like, what was the phone there number? There was a light bulb above... Oh, I thought you meant the number of telephones. No, 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 no. The phone number. I wonder what their phone oh, number was. it was one. I, yeah, I imagine it was a very <laughs> small digit at the time. Um, oh another fun fact was that in 1871, Emperor Napoleon III was... When he was exiled from France, he actually lived here until he died. <laughs> oh, it's so hard to be exiled. I just have to live in this palace with my one light bulb and my one telephone. <laughs> my... My elevator that goes up a whole inch. <laughs> um, and air conditioning, by the way, in 1871. Air conditioning's the big one I missed, yep. Air I didn't even know. I actually really should look into how long air conditioning's been around. Because in my mind, like, before, like, the 50s, not even, like, in, like, the 70s, I don't believe, I can't, my I brain doesn't. I think it has something to do with when refrigeration was invented. Yeah, well, I think it's, I think I put the two together but I don't really think of refrig. I know refrigeration was before the fucking seventies. I know that, but like I, my brain doesn't allow myself to understand anything that happened forty to fifty years right after forty to fifty years before me. Got it. Um, the world just didn't exist. It's hard for me to understand it, yeah. and like everything just becomes like wooden wagons and like hoop and stick, <laughs> hoop and stick. <laughs> and I, I hate myself for it, but I can't process. And so for air conditioning to be around before nineteen hundred. It's hard for me to believe that years were around you, before 1900. Do you think like you're like a new soul or something? I must I feel be. Like I, I feel like this is very interesting. Um, I must be. But at the same time, like I know that my past lives, most of them were in colonial times. I know it. And yet I refuse well, <laughs> to believe that, that that time existed. Maybe you just did that then skipped everything else. Maybe I just really hated hoop and stick. And so I told myself and all the rest of Never my years, again. I would just block out that time. You're going to skip the marbles. You're going to skip the pickup. <laughs> Be sticks. like, maybe I had, I was a colonial person. Then I came to a time of air conditioning and I was like, I don't want to remember yeah, yeah, anything exactly, before this. That must be what it was. You had a, suddenly a telephone number and an air conditioning. <laughs> I was like, this is so much more convenient than like having like, a plague you or something. Probably... <laughs> I don't know. You know how plagues are just so inconvenient. I mean, yes, that's they're called the a... coronavirus. It's called pretty timely news, I guess. It's uh, called I have no toilet paper. Yeah. Oh, poor M. Um, just move to this fucking palace. It seems to be where everyone else on hard times goes. <laughs> hard times. Me and Emperor Napoleon the yeah, Third. I'm sure that's really tough maybe that's for you. my past life. I was I'm like thinking maybe. I was like, have you heard of this air conditioning shit? I'm not going back. <laughs> So in 1902, the coronation celebrations, which, again, I did not know were a real thing, 
were being held in London, and the Langham was the final royal stop. Okay. Fun fact. So in 1902, during this coronation celebration, I, first of all, love that it rhymes. Second of all, can't get over the fact that I'm just thinking of Frozen for coronation. Oh, the kitty cat wants to What does that mean? The coronation when Elsa was going to become queen. Oh, sure. Okay. Remember when Anna was, like, so fucking stoked that the windows were going to be open? Yes. <laughs> that was the coronation Yes, day. I see. Okay, I'm, I'm putting it together now. Uh, so, during this coronation, a wire was strung across the Langham Hotel to the church on the other side of the square. Okay. So, there was like, a huge wire from uh, the hotel to the church where they held, like, flags and banners and stuff. Oh. And it was estimated to be able to carry, like, eight tons. With the wire? The wire was supposed to be... And it was, like, anchored in with iron bars the and everything. The hell? Okay. So, like, a heavy-duty wire. Yeah. Well, for some unexplained reason, uh-huh. the wire snapped... <gasps> oh, no. ...and whipped through the crowd. Oh, my God! That's horrifying! And it injured four women and killed one woman. The one who died was a Canadian, so my heart goes out to her. Oh, no. Um, that's but awful. Have you heard of the... the the Six Flags time that the wire snapped on the Superman no. ride. I it happened the day after I left that Six Flags, what? and I remember being like, "What the fuck? Wait, what happened?" So at Six Flags, they have a Superman ride where you're supposed to feel like Superman because you're like strapped in the one where you're it, on your where you're chest? on your chest, so it's yeah. like you're flying like Superman. Uh-oh. And a wire snapped off of the roller coaster and hit someone's legs and literally whipped their legs off. What the fuck? I don't know what happened to that person. I just, I'm going to not leave my so house sorry. anymore. I'm going to not go on roller coasters. <clears throat> but I was at that, I was at that park the day before. Nope. And then I heard that story and I was like, what the fuck? I was, I had just been on that ride. I was like, when I was on that ride, the wire was probably wiggly or something. <laughs> it was just wiggly. Like, a little bit wiggly. You know like, I just, wiggly. it just missed me. Um, oh, God. So anyway, that was the first series of deaths that happened around the hotel. That could have potentially made the space haunted. Yeah. Um, and like I said, the workers who strung up the wire have no idea how it snapped because it had been reinforced with a lot of anchors and iron bars. Jeez. A year later, Bachelor Lewis Tellerman had a party in his suite at the hotel. And he was, a par- I don't know how this happens, but it's probably how one of us will go. He literally was just laughing and keeled over. He just was laughing. Sorry, so f- this is your past life. That's some Roger Rabbit shit. Like you literally just laugh yourself to death. This is your past life. It's all making sense. You're in the air conditioning. Life is good. Uh-huh. Having a bachelor party. Sounds right. Oh, and that's horrible. Literally sat up in a fit of laughter and keeled over dead on the spot. Is there nothing that can be sacred anymore? Are we? I'm just, <laughs> I feel like I, ha- I must be scared of everything now. Also, like, what a way to go, though. Like, I kind of hope that's the way you go. I hope it was really funny, that joke. But can you imagine being the one who told the joke and you're like, I just killed him. It's like, but also you could be like, I killed. I'm so funny. I, I just killed at that show where I killed someone. <laughs> oh, so sad i didn't even know that was possible i didn't know either i mean it makes me think of all the times that i was laughing so hard that my stomach hurt and now i'm like oh my god was i on the brink of death <laughs> maybe in like an aneurysm or something maybe that's horrifying i mean just plop so in 1940 uh the hotel actually served as a world war ii first aid center and an outpost ah. and uh september 1940 a bomb exploded near the hotel oh, and there were no deaths that time but there was another um, explosion a couple months later it was a parachute mine that exploded outside the hotel and it caused a water tank in the hotel to explode and the roof caught on fire because it was so close oh no and so it killed two guests and damaged several of the surrounding buildings and it led to flooding in the hotel and a small collapse from the roof so it was i mean it was scary 
and only only two people died instead of the entire hotel, but still two more people died in the in the hotel. Awful. Awful. Um at this point, fun fact, it was during World War Two that there was um mine exploded next to it, but the hotel, even though they had to evacuate, the staff still returned to hang a British flag across the doorway as like a fuck you to the Nazis. Yeah. To be like, nice try. Aww. And after the war, BBC actually bought the Langham um, and used it as an archive space and a recording studio. And it was like, they still had rooms available for journalists that were in town to oh, work wow. for them. So it was still kind of like a hotel, but just for BBC staff. Okay. In 1986, uh, BBC sold the Langham and then it got refurbished f- with, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I have to let the cat out. Sorry, everyone. I'm sorry. Am I bothering you, Juniper? Yes. Oh, I thought you meant me. Yes, you are bothered. Oh, okay. Well. So, uh, blah, blah, blah. So in 1986, the BBC sold the Langham and the whole place got refurbished uh, for 100 million pounds. Whoa! And in 1991... They added a second telephone. That is exactly and what another happened. another light bulb. They paid for a whole new number. <laughs> number two. <laughs> and so in 1991, the place reopened as the Langham Hilton Hotel. Okay. Okay, Hilton. Okay, okay. Fun fact, as the Hilton, as the Langham Hilton Hotel... Princess Diana was the first royal guest okay. and was a regular there before she died. Wow. Did Paris ever go? Mm, did Paris? Paris Hilton? Hilton, I see. Maybe. I wouldn't be surprised. It's like, if it's the one that looks like a palace, I'm sure that's the one she wants to I go to. I feel like if you could go for free, you might as well, right? Maybe like, they filmed an episode of The Simple Life there. Yeah, very simple to live there, I've Oh heard. my god, look at this one telephone. We have that's one hot. light bulb and that's one telephone. <laughs> There's just like the ghost of Napoleon behind them. Right. <laughs> so, uh, there. this uh, was also the time where, so they, it used to be room 33, and around this time in the 80s, they changed out the numbers and room 33 became room 333, which is now the most haunted room there. Ah, oh, half of 666. Bingo. I see. I will just skip right over that. Oh. A little, little quote later. <laughs> My great math that I did. <laughs> Sorry to spoil it for I'll everyone. Bring it up again. So after another 80 million in renovations, Jesus Christ, guys. <laughs> I was like, I'm amazed. I can't believe that. Um, the hotel was sold again and turned into the Langham Hotel, so no Hilton. Oh, by Hilton. Sorry, Paris. <laughs> That's not hot. No. So, uh... It, it's not... There's a lot of AC going on in there. That's the dumbest joke. Take it back. I take it back. I take it back. I take it back. I regret it. I, oh I, my god, that's cold. I regret So... Everything. So now it's just the Langham Hotel since, I guess, the n- late 90s, early 2000s. And, uh, the typical hauntings kind of the typical hauntings of any hotel there's knocks footsteps voices doors open and close windows open and close usually it's like knocks and creaks that are the big one um but there are five main ghosts one is a german (laughs) well a german noble or prince they're not sure in full regalia and he yikes is allegedly the way he became a ghost in this building is he allegedly jumped from the window during world war one Oh, but he's known now to wander the hallways on the fourth floor. He walks through walls and he walks through closed doors and he is apparently the most active of all of them. God, seeing like someone in a full outfit uh, just scare the shit out of me, especially from a time that's like clearly not. Now. Yes, exactly. So the spirit has been described as, quote, beefy. OK, oh, well, oh, with that's a good thing, is it? Yeah, it means like hunky. Huh? OK, I don't know what beefy that's means. It just I sounds call mean. You beefy. 
That's what, you, what the fuck? I don't. Uh, beefy with cropped hair, sporting a military-style jacket that buttoned up to the neck. Okay. So the second one is actually Emperor Napoleon III, who, you know, his life was so tough and he got exiled and lived in a palace. Um, he, now apparently, he used to be seen a lot in his room, but now he's seen more in the basement. He, like, moved downstairs. The fuck? Okay. The third one is a butler with a hole in his sock. I don't know why. Oh, I think it's like in his head. That's what I thought too when I first started reading the notes and then I was like Do you think that's why he can't rest easy? He roams the earth cuz he can't I, darn his sock. That one toe is just too cold. It's just always too cold. But I was going through all all this info and I was like, what if I saw a spirit, <laughs> the last thing I'm doing is checking his socks. Yeah, like, that's not the thing you'd really notice, right? Like, I would notice that he was see-through and probably had no eyes. And maybe holes in other parts of his entire body. <laughs> right, but, like, if there's holes in his fabric, the least of my concerns. Yeah, we're not really worried, I guess. But apparently people have all said that he... Unless he's, like, maybe a he... spirit that's just sticking his leg out <laughs> trying to show you exactly really the hole in his sock. He's like, look. Look, Cuma, there's got to be a ghost sock. somewhere who's just like, look at my foot. Look at it. My toe is so cold. Help me. Um, so he carries a tray through the third floor halls. <laughs> oh my God. And his socks. Apparently without By shoes way, on. means he's not wearing yeah. shoes. <laughs> is he barefoot on the other foot? I'm confused. This is wild though. Okay. Uh, and then there's a soldier with a gaping wound in his face. Yeah, that's the kind of that's hole you know. Yeah, that's the hole where you go, that's not supposed to be there. Well, also because you're probably looking them directly in their eyes uh -huh. if you see a full bite apparition. So a wound near the eyes, you're going to notice. But like the toes are the are the eyes of the feet. That's like, what I always say. They're the exact opposite of where you should be looking if you see a see-through person. Yeah, I would think. Uh... So anyway, a soldier with a gaping face wound, he Great. walks through the building, but unlike others, he's just seen all over the place. He's so he... like, stop complaining about your sock. Look at my goddamn face. Like, what is your deal, he's dude? He's going all over the goddamn palace he's to so be like, pissed. when will someone notice? <laughs> so the fifth one is the most popular and the most malevolent, apparently. Oh. Um, this is in room 333, which used to be room 33. It was a Victorian doctor who actually was on a honeymoon with his bride and then committed a murder-suicide. <gasps> with his bride oh no so killed her then... on their honeymoon yes oh no so killed her then killed himself he now shows himself with silver hair a cloak and a cravat and a blank stare sorry one of the animals hit the door right as you said that like jumped <laughs> my heart jumped and a blank stare okay. the worst of them all yeah very very unsettling so um a cravat a cravat so very concerned with their looks in 1973, one of the BBC reporters that was staying in, like, their accommodations when BBC owned the place. Oh, yeah. His name was James Gordon. He stayed in room 33, and he woke up to a ball. He was in room 33, and he woke up to a ball of light that turned into the form of a Victorian man. Okay. So he just watched it, like, anamorph into... Yucko. Uh, the man was... Speaking of anamorphs, let's talk about a reboot on that one. What? Did... Do you not know what anamorphs yes, are? Yes, but what, what do you mean? I just said the phrase anamorph, and then my it pulled out a memory of my brain of the show Anamorphs. Oh, oh, I thought you meant like like a a remake, like this was. No, but we should do it. I'm saying like if for all the '90s reboots, why have we not done Anamorphs yet? That's a really good question. That was a great show. But that and was. You could do like a Riverdale version of it, where like now it's like the dark it's version it's of drama. Anamorphs. Yeah, drama. Super Anamorphs. drama. Okay, TM, 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 TM. Okay, uh, so this ball of light turned into a Victorian man. The man was missing the lower half of his legs. His arms were stretched out and his eyes were apparently piercing. And this man started moving towards the reporter. 
Nah. Um, so James, the reporter, he got met, he got scared and he threw a boot at the man. <laughs> and in true cinema fashion, the boot went right through him. Goodbye. And James fled. He was like, goodbye. I'm out. Um, James freaked out, but he realized he still had to go get his things before he left. And so no. he asked the concierge to escort him. Yeah. And the concierge literally said no. What? I don't know if they were too scared. I don't know if they were too scared or were making fun of him or like didn't believe him. But or he, were like, that's not our job. Right. And, but he, think. he ended up having to go up by himself <gasps> and he saw it again for a second time. It was still there. Still there. This time it was fading away, but he still saw it. I hate that. So it wasn't just a dream if he walked away and came back and it was still there. Yuck. Also, what was happening when he was gone? Was that guy just roaming around the room, like looking through his luggage? Oh, he was building up power. <laughs> So, um, apparently a lot of other BBC reporters had that same experience when they would stay in that room. So there was a lot of similar stories to that, basically, where they all saw this man. There's also a ghost, uh, who likes to tip mattresses while guests are sleeping. So he will literally try to, like, (laughs) lift the mattress until eventually you roll out while you're sleeping. kind of hilarious. That would be me. It is, yeah. Like, how far can I get this thing I know, up in the sky? know, it's you, that bachelor guy who loves to laugh. Also, how strong must you be? Because a mattress is fucking heavy. And Pretty then a... beefy, I would say. <laughs> and then a person on top of it. Yeah, you gotta be the beefiest. Mm-hmm. You'd be deluxe boar's head but roast beef. If you, if you got a uh, hole in your sock, forget about it. <laughs> You're screwed. Yeah. No it, chance. For sure. Um, in 2003, there was actually a woman who experienced this ghost by staying in room 33 and was not just tipped out but shaken out of her bed like someone was literally like trying to fan yeah, her like whip the mattress so she would just go I flying love that they off. don't even want to touch her they're just like get it off get it off they're like i don't want to why are you on my bed like, get out of here fling it off that's the most passive aggressive way to get someone it out of your is. bed is just tip them upright <laughs> until like, they fall just and then and then when they turn around i'll just like pretend i'm sleeping <laughs> it wasn't me <laughs> Um, there's a video from like, it must be like an old fifties show or something, but it's a clip that's been used a few times on like TikToks or like Twitter memes or something, but it's, uh, a man and a woman lying in bed and the woman, while the man is sleeping, she's like reading her book and like, she like slaps him on the face to wake him up. But then she pretends she was sleeping. (laughs) So he like wakes up in like, uh, like a, in a startle and then she wakes up going oh no what happened did you have a bad dream i feel like that's what this ghost what? is about i've never seen that I'll it have is to find it very passive aggressive it seems like emphasis on the aggressive it seems like that's exactly what this ghost wants. yeah clearly also just attention just wants to be a tiktok star clearly don't we all just wants to be a woman from the 50s <laughs> yes don't we all so other ghosts include a uh, a bellman in a full wig and blue uniform wow and whenever he's around the temperature apparently drops like crazy that ac um some people actually think he's alive and mistake him for a current employee but they always complain that he's not helpful (laughs) they're like don't tip that man probably because he's a fucking ghost and he's like you are not royalty get out of my face (laughs) well guests so guests have called the front desk and been like why hasn't that guy in the old costume like (gasps) brought up my luggage yet like i gave it to him and then it's he hasn't brought it up it's been a half an hour and people will be like that uniform that you saw hasn't been used (laughs) in over a century terrifying and they'll go downstairs to check on their luggage, and it's exactly where they left it in front of the man. <gasps> like, it's just sitting in the lobby, untouched. I wonder if there's, like, footage of people just walking up and, like, 
putting their luggage that down. That would be something And else. walking away. And everyone's like, what are you doing? He's like, no, I was giving it to the man. Uh. I also wonder if the man walks around. Like, do people leave their luggage in different locations? Right. Or is, or is it, he always standing? Because if it's always the same spot, then if I worked at that hotel, if I ever saw unattended luggage, <laughs> I would just assume that someone saw the ghost. It's a ghost. He's back. Yeah. So anyway, that's I would a- just force an actual employee to stand there and be like, just take whatever luggage ends up here. <laughs> So, um, but yeah, that, that would be really interesting to see the footage of people mm-hmm. just leaving it somewhere. That's creepy. And then like talking to the air. Yeah. Yeah. Or should I give $5 and it just falls to the ground? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, people also see a woman in a blue nightgown. She's seen wandering the hallways near dawn. And in 2014, England's cricket team actually stayed there and they had their own experiences. Specifically, one teammate reportedly woke up because his room was boiling hot. Ooh. Like, boiling hot and that's actually one of the big uh complaints from guests is that the place is super super hot really and like they don't know why and then all of a sudden they'll change and people have also complained about getting headaches in certain rooms weird so um but yeah so one teammate woke up because his room was super hot like in the 90s or hundreds Mm. and when he woke up the faucets in the bathroom were running by themselves So he turned on the light to see what was going on. And when he turned the light on, the faucets turned off. Ooh, okay. And he was like, that was weird. So he turned off the light to go back to bed and the faucets came back on. Oh, for God's sake. And so eventually he ended up just sleeping in one of his teammates' rooms. (laughs) And it's apparently that cricket team, now like their girlfriends and half of the players won't stay in that hotel. Really? Like like, depending on how long they have to be there, if they have to be there for multiple nights, they'll pick a different place. That's like the Fister, right? Yeah. Was it the Fister? The Fister. They have, um, I think, the Milwaukee Brewers. Yeah. Or no, it's like visiting teams would stay there. Someone, there was a baseball team that like refuses to stay in the Fister Hotel. It was like visiting teams would be put up there or something. And then like, forget what team it was, some visiting team. And like, yeah, they... They all were like, fuck this place. Yeah. There's like a video of them talking about They're it. They're literally like, I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so people have also said that their equipment will malfunction in the room, especially in the bathroom, they think, like in room 333. Ooh. Apparently the equipment will malfunction. It's always super hot in there. And that's where the murder-suicide was, right? Yes. <sighs> and people will hear knocking and like banging in the closets and stuff. Yuck. Um, so... Some theories, a lot of people who are skeptics will say that most of the sightings conveniently happened when BBC owned the place. And so they think that a lot of BBC staff just kind of made up these stories for publicity. Journalists? Come on. And a lot of them literally have said that they believe these stories are made up because they would use them at the time that they worked there so they could, like, explain off why they were late with their work. They would just be like... <laughs> like the ghosts did it. The ghosts ate my homework or something. <laughs> like, the ghosts, like, kept me from getting my work done. And some of the... Um, another similar theory is for cricket fans because they think that uh, the players will say that uh, the, the hotel they were staying in that night was haunted to explain why they a did loss. A, a bad job at right. their They're last like, match. I'm cursed. So, okay. Well, so did the BBC people, because my thought would be those are the last people to like go around saying they saw ghosts because you want to be credible, especially if you work at the BBC. Right. You know what I mean? Like That's what I would think too, but a lot of people say since it happened to start at that time and most of the stories come from that time hmm. it's just convenient yeah but i don't know interesting maybe um, they just didn't like journalists maybe they just hated journalists maybe mm. they were like previous paparazzi or no they were nobility remember they're probably oh, right like, they were like get away from me paparazzi me. Mm-hmm. so room 333 they think that if this is all a hoax and room 333 is just like a publicity stunt for being the most haunted room the reason that room got picked is because it is the room 333 which you said 
if you double it, it's 666. I'm pretty good at math. So <laughs> 333 is like a mocking of the Holy Trinity, which is usually demonic foul play. Um, and it's also associated with the demon Karanzen 333. Ooh. Who is known as the, quote, dweller of the abyss. Oh, what the hell? And is sometimes the final obstacle before enlightenment in some uh, beliefs. Really? Yes. So he's just, like, standing there. like, he's, like, just ready to fuck you Nirvana up. Nirvana is behind me. You may not <laughs> enter. So, three, and like I said, 333 could be the mocking of the Holy Trinity. Yuck. So it could just be a mind over matter kind of be- tell yourself that it's more demonic than the rest of the hotel. Okay. So. But anyway, that is the story of the Langham Hotel in Damn. London. We should stay there if we ever go to London. Okay. I made a stay at the Fister, remember? I do. And then I... So Christine didn't know <laughs> that the Fister was actually my story for my live <laughs> did, show that I night. I didn't even guess. Christine just put us in the Fister Hotel, and then I we got on stage, and I was like, so my story is the Fister Hotel. And then Christine couldn't say, that's where we're staying. Right. We're staying there but, tonight. But our eyes met, and I was like, you know what's going I on. I just drank my wine. <laughs> kept my mouth There was shut. one time where Christine... On stage, literally told everyone where we were staying. I said, we're staying at the Holiday Weston. <laughs> she tried to catch herself, but it was definitely too fucking late. Didn't work, didn't work, didn't work. Uh, wowza. Yeah. I was just like, please nobody come to the Hollywood, Holiday Weston-ish. The Holiday, the Hollywood Weston the is holiday where we... The Holiday Weston. Yep. Uh, that's where we stay, room 333. <laughs> Um, yeah, also with that Fister thing, I had told Eva, it's a surprise, don't tell M. And um, Eva was like, oh, God, because, like, you were like, it's a surprise, don't tell Christine. And I'm like, poor Eva. Poor Eva's in the middle. Gets wrangled into that shit all the Constantly, time. Constantly, she's in the middle of it. We all, I'm always saying, hey, don't tell, don't tell Christine. And then Christine's like, don't tell M. And then Eva's like, I don't know what to do. Eva's just like, help me, somebody. And not that Eva's a bad liar. I just think... I don't think we definitely people, force her to yeah, lie we put a lot. Her in uncomfortable <laughs> positions that she didn't sign up for. Right, exactly. Right. Um, for space camp, Christine and I came up with a story, but I never told Christine that I had officially <laughs> lied to Eva about what was going on. I made like made up a story for why she needed to come over, and then. I forgot to tell Christine that yeah. that was the story. And so then Eva was like... It almost ruined the whole surprise. I know. I, I almost totally ruined it. Yeah. So then Eva called me and was like, oh, so Emma said we're doing this uh, tomorrow. And I was like, sorry, what? And Eva's like, oh, shit, maybe I wasn't supposed to tell you. I didn't ask Emma if I was allowed to tell we've you. Like, and I was we've like, totally put Eva in a fuck? state of paranoia where she's, now she never knows if uh, she's allowed to be like double checking schedules with both of us. just rough. I know. It's... Oh, poor thing. We like to keep each other on our toes. Mm -hmm. You know when you've got the holidays, the new year, and then all of a sudden it's sort of back to the grind? Especially if you run a small business, it can be really hard to get back into the swing of things. But Stamps.com is here to make that a little bit easier for you. Stamps.com streamlines all your mailing and shipping to turbocharge your operational efficiencies. For 25 years now, Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses. Whether they're mailing out checks, invoices, legal documents, books, podcast branded koozies, maybe that's just us, or anything else. Get access to the USPS and UPS mailing services you need to run your business right from your computer anytime, day or night. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. And with rates you can't find anywhere else, like up to, get this, 89% off USPS and UPS, how could you go wrong? 
We have loved stamps.com for years, not quite 25, but since we started the podcast, which was 2017, and we could not get by without it. I remember there were days where we didn't have stamps.com, those I call the dark ages, and I was hand shipping everything and driving it on my lunch break to the post office. It was all very hectic. Stamps.com, I do it straight from my house, and it makes my life a trillion times easier. Keep your mailing and shipping moving at the speed of your business with stamps.com. Sign up with promo code DRINK for a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale no long-term commitments or contracts just go to stamps.com click the microphone at the top of the page and enter code drink daylight saving time is starting up again it may feel like there are more hours in the day but if you're hiring it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates any sooner there's only one way to do that ZipRecruiter. right now you can try it for free at ziprecruiter.com drink ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100-plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. Spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why 4 out of 5 employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash drink. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash drink. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Okay, so the story I have for you today is of Sherry Rasmussen. Ooh. Rasmussen. Rumpelstiltskin? That's the one. Okay. It's a folktale. It is not, unfortunately. Mm. I wish it were folktale. I wish it were fake. Yep. Uh, I wish all of my stories were fake, but... Unfortunately, that is not the case. So, Sherry Rasmussen was born February 7th, 1957. Uh, she was raised in a close family with two sisters, Teresa and Connie. And she was very quickly, like, a very tenacious young woman. She skipped two grades. She was six foot tall and was, like, a great athlete. Um, she was basically like a wunderkind. And she graduated high school by 16, graduated college by 20, and received her master's in nursing from UCLA at age 23. So she was like fast track to success and career. So she actually initially was going to go to medical school to become a doctor. Um, and her father, Nels, he, he like kind of expected that of her because that was her original path. But then she also wanted to have a family and she believed that becoming a nurse would be more conducive hours wise to having kids in the future. So she um, gave up on the medical school idea and went to nursing school. And um, pretty quickly, she was promoted to management uh, director of clinical care nursing at Glendale Adventist Hospital in Glendale, California. I used to go there. Oh, I used to live in Glendale, but I never went to that hospital. I went to that hospital when I lived in Glendale. Was that when you had the black lung? (sighs) No, it was when I had the Crohn's. Oh, yikes. My whole life. Um, So by age 27, she was the director of clinical care nursing and started even lecturing, like giving lectures to students. So like she was on the up and up and on the up and up. Um, She loved being a nurse. Her family was like she loved making people feel better, wanted to make things run efficiently, especially in the medical world. And in 1984, she met a man named John Rutten, and they pretty much immediately fell in love, started dating. And the year after that, 1985, they got engaged and were married that same year. So they were like, once again, fast track. She was like, this is it. On the up and up. On the up and up. He's the one. Um, So two years later, or a year after they got married, in February of 1986, um, 20 february 23rd she and her sister 
uh, Teresa and Teresa's partner, Brian, they go out to play mini golf and they have a lovely day and she heads home afterwards and everything is all fine. And that next morning, February 24th, she tells her husband, John, that she's supposed to get... Next morning, um, sorry everyone, I'm out of breath because I just had to lock the dogs away. And I'm very out of shape. Okay, so you're so out of shape and skinny at the same time. Crazy. Yeah, yeah Em loves this game. Um, so I'm sorry, I love telling you you're skinny. Mm-hmm. What a what In a that super lovely you know what, sweet how tone. How dare I? Rat dare bastard, you. they call me. Uh huh. Uh huh. Go on, Skinny. Keep telling me what's Stop going on. Stop it. You're such a butt. Okay. <laughs> February 24th, uh, Sherry says to her husband, I'm supposed to give this motivational speech uh, at work today. And she's like, I think it's pointless. I don't want to do it. So I'm going to stay home. Okay. So <laughs> he's like, all right, cool. I'm going to work. He leaves the condo. They lived in Van Nuys. Um, he leaves the condo, heads to work about 7.20 a.m. And she's still in her bathrobe and is like, bye, I'm staying home today. So later that morning, Sherry's sister, Connie, makes her usual break time phone call to Sherry, but the hospital says she didn't come into work today. Uh, she called in sick. I mean, really, she was avoiding her motivational speech, but she called in sick. So Connie's like, great, I'll call her at home, but nobody picks up. So she calls John and is like, hey, is everything cool with Sherry? He calls home too. Nobody picks up. He's like, that's weird, but maybe she went back to bed. Maybe she was tired sure. and is taking I mean, a nap. When I don't answer the phone, I'm absolutely <laughs> asleep. There's literally only one thing Em is doing if they don't answer the phone. It is sleeping. Oh, yeah. Last, I think yesterday we were in like a huge group chat and I, at some point I was just not responding. <laughs> and then three hours later, I was like, sorry, guys. Good morning. It's me. <laughs> Good morning. It's me and it's 2 p.m. If I don't answer the phone, it's because I'm doing literally everything else in my life because I refuse to answer the phone. <laughs> so there, that's where we differ. Um, okay, so that afternoon, John is finished at work. He arrives home to the condo uh, around 6.45, and he is met by a somewhat troubling sight outside. Uh-oh. So the garage door is open, and he had bought Sherry a BMW as an engagement gift, and the BMW is missing. There's broken glass on the driveway from the patio door, uh, and he's like, that's weird. Like, sh- if she had left, she wouldn't have left the garage door open. So mm. things are off. Obviously, there's glass on the ground. Um so he heads upstairs to the condo and he pushes the front door open. It's actually unlocked. And he finds Sherry still in her bathrobe um, and her nightgown, the same clothes she was wearing when he left that morning, uh, sprawled on the living room floor in a pool of blood. She was very obviously dead by this point. She had been shot twice in the chest and Ooh. once in the abdomen. Oh, fuck. And also had blunt force trauma to her head. Uh, she had ligature marks on her wrists, but she wasn't bound at that point. Um, and she also had defensive wounds on her arms and hands. Uh, there, so obviously he calls the police. Uh, there are signs of a struggle in the living room. There are speakers that are like toppled over. The credenza is knocked on its side. Drawers have been pulled out. Paperwork is everywhere. Um, there's a bloody handprint that's later identified as Sherry's smeared next to the panic alarm. Oh no. In the living room. God damn it. Yeah. So close. Terrible. So between, like, total shock and hysterics, John stumbles out of the condo. Um, he, like, runs to the neighbor. They're able to get the police over who investigate the scene, kind of pull all this information. Um, and the lead detective, his name um, is Lyle Mayer, and he immediately ze- zeroes in on this stacked stereo equipment that was left by the front door. 
and they pretty quickly ruled John out as a suspect and conclude that Sherry had probably interrupted a burglary and was murdered as a result. Because Shit. the like stereo equipment was at the bottom of the stairs and Right, the car know, was gone. The car was gone, exactly. Um so that's why uh oh right, and so that's why they think the stuff was left behind, like the jewelry and um the stereo equipment and then the car was taken. They think like she interrupted it and so they had to leave some of this stuff behind. Gotcha. Um strangely though, John and Sherry's marriage license was also missing from their files, which was weird because it was the only file missing out of their documents. And, like, a very important one that, like, really serves nobody a purpose. Exactly. Like, a very specific one. <laughs> like, not a social yeah. security card or anything. Um, another clue that gives investigators pause is the fact that Sherry, uh, in addition to her defensive wounds, also had a deep bite mark on her arm. Oh, that's personal. Very not... <laughs> very not a sign of a burglar. <laughs> like, typically right. a burglar who was just caught doesn't stick around to bite someone it right. just doesn't seem like tip a usual uh type of violence um i will say like this uh the evidence collection was later deeply criticized it was very shoddy uh investigators missed key pieces of evidence they missed a bloody fingerprint on the stereo equipment uh but they did this the bite mark on her arm they did take a swab of that and put it into evidence and so, unfortunately, Sherry's family finds out what happened, um, and they fly in from Arizona. Her parents are immediately like, we don't know about this burglar story. Like, this just seems off. off. Yeah, exactly. They said they had helped Sherry purchase a condo years before, and they specifically picked this condo because of, like, the community, like, how safe it was, how gated it was, how difficult it was for somebody to break in. And they said that was, like, their main priority, so they were like, it's not... Just the odds of this are very strange. Um, and they also said what thief would, like, rifle through a living room junk drawer but not take the jewelry box from her bedroom? And why would they take the marriage certificate? Just things seemed off. And then the bite mark and stuff like that. So at this point, um, Sherry's father, Nels, tells the detective that he had recently talked to Sherry, who said she was having trouble with one of John's, her husband's, ex-girlfriends. Okay. And apparently this ex-girlfriend would repeatedly show up at the hospital Sherry worked at. Ooh. Because she was still somehow... In love with? Yes. Still somehow wanted to be involved and was just hated Sherry. And would take a... I could see taking the marriage license Mm. in some sort of revenge. So that's what he says. He says, look into that person. Um, They said, what's her name? He says he doesn't know her name, but he does know that she's an LAPD officer. And Wait, what? He doesn't know that his ex's name? No, the dad. Like, oh, uh, oh, oh. Sherry's dad says, uh, she was telling me about this ex. Gotcha. Okay. That used to show up sometimes. Like, maybe she has something to do with it. For a second, I thought you meant no. the <laughs> husband didn't know his ex's name. Oh, I totally name. forget. <laughs> I was like, what? Like, like Susie or something? <laughs> Got it. Okay. Um, so John himself, the husband, takes a polygraph, but it's deemed inconclusive. He's not considered a suspect. He has an alibi. It's it just doesn't fit that it would be him. Um, a week later, Sherry's BMW is found with the keys in the ignition, but there's no new evidence in the car. And a month after Sherry's murder, there is another robbery in the neighborhood, like right down the street. And um, this is a so this a woman came home. It was a really similar situation. A woman came home, interrupted two men robbing her home. The first one ran, but the other pointed a gun at her, and then instead of shooting her, took off after his co-robber co-burglar i don't know the right word partner in crime that's the one okay partner in crime um (laughs) and no one was hurt but she did say like he pointed a gun at me and they let so 
this kind of bolstered the theory that like she prob there's probably some crime thing going on in this neighborhood and um they were interrupted she was you know they were interrupted by sherry and that's why she was killed so uh nels her dad keeps saying no like you look into this ex-girlfriend but he's literally told by police you've been watching too much tv and is dismissed so wow there's not okay anything he can do at this point so in 2003 so this is years later um lapd begins testing dna in cold cases i know we've talked a lot about that how you know, now that DNA evidence can be tested, a lot of times cold cases can be kind of reopened and looked at. Mm-hmm. So uh, the swab taken from Sherry's bite wound was initially missing, but um, this woman, she's an LAPD criminalist named Jennifer Butterworth, and she found, she like went on a mission to find the swab because she wanted to f- look into this case. And she found the swab, um, it turned up at the coroner's office, and she was able to test the uh, DNA on the swab, the bite mark. And the results blew a huge hole in the initial investigator's theory because the biter was not a male, but was a female. (gasps) Interesting. So they were like, well, your burglar, like the two men who were down the street were not the same ones that had attacked her in her home. Can I, can I make a, can I do a, a little tangent real quick? Yes. So you said the woman's name was Butterworth. Yep. So in high school, uh, like, remember, I went to school with, like, only, like, 30 people, and yep. we all knew each other since first grade. <clears throat> there was one guy in my school named Trent Butterworth, and uh, him and I, like, did not run the same circles. Like, obviously, we knew of each other very well, but we weren't necessarily, like, our own personal friends. Uh-huh. But just through, I don't know how it happened to be, but whenever I would come home for the holidays now... um, I would hang out with, like, Deirdre, and then, like, our town is so small, I just kind of run into people from high school. And there was one friend I was meeting for lunch. I guess he kept in, fr- in touch with Trent. And so at some point I ended up sitting at a dinner table, like, with Trent Butterworth. Mm-hmm. And Allison was in town meeting all my friends. And I was like, these are, like, the obscure people from high school. We're like, it's weird that we're sitting at yeah. a table 10 like, years later. we never later. pictured us being in the same room. It's like, we would never... but. Allison's like favorite memory of the first time she came to Fredericksburg was meeting Trent Butterworth purely for his name. Like she just, really? what? just she just <laughs> latched on because that it was like the coolest name. And so now I thought you were gonna say she knew him from somewhere. <laughs> no, but it's like it's weird that like one of like me and Allison's like inside jokes is the last name of this like random person from high school that she happened to have dinner with me with one time. Oh yeah. And so, but after that one time, him and I actually like got closer and so now it, we intentionally see each other when i'm home yeah and he's uh in the army and the last time i saw him he had just been promoted and his rank no. they have like a nickname for it called like you have like two bars on yeah. it so their nickname is butter bars and so he's now called in the army butter bar butterworth shut up and i said that to allison and she was like this is golden she like knew this was a prime it's it's such a weird tangent but the second i heard butterworth all i heard in my head was i know allison's gonna listen to this episode I literally felt, and she's gonna say like tread butterworth i literally felt your body buzzing the second i said that <laughs> name and i was like oh boy here we go it's just like imagine like the person you talked to the least yeah. in high school and then 10 years later you're yeah. introducing your partner to your hometown and you have dinner with that person and now he's an inside joke in your relationship this happened with somebody in my school i'm not gonna say their name because we're not friends i mean we're not not (laughs) friends but like this it's so weird to think like 
if they knew how much we talked about them because like <laughs> of their name or something like how they blaze and I have an inside joke about somebody and like they definitely don't know it I'm like it is kind of weird groups if only they knew sorry okay I recently told Trent Butterworth I was like just so you know Alistair and I you are an inside joke and he was like well that checks I out. love that I would love to be an inside joke Somebody... You are, don't worry. <laughs> I just won't tell you what it is. Shut up. <laughs> um, okay. Oh, my goodness. Sorry, moving on. That was such a random thing to say. No, no. I, I knew there was something happening in your brain, so mm -hmm. I, I'm glad you uh, you told me. And I'm sorry I threw a gallon of water all over the floor. No problem. Um, looks like we're still recording, so that's good. Um, but let's see. Okay. Uh, so she, so, so Jen Butterworth or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jennifer Butterworth. She looks up, she finds, she goes on a mission to find the Suave. So right, female right, right. biter, not a male biter. Yes. Okay. And this rules out the two male robbers down the street. Yes. However, even in 2004, detectives are still like committed to this whole burglary story. And they're like, no, no, it's definitely a burglary gone wrong. Stop trying to stir things up. And uh, they let the case go cold again. Hmm. And that's until 2009 wow. when uh, Detective, now the name is, <laughs> do you have a name for this? Nuttall. Nuttall. <laughs> Nutella? Nut no. Nuttall. No, I don't have one for that. Okay, just wanted to check before uh, <laughs> before we got there. So in 2009, uh, Detective Nuttall is looking to increase department clearance rates. So he goes through old cold cases. Um, and he finds that a lot of the physical evidence collected from the scene originally has been lost or misplaced, um, which is a very common problem uh, when it comes to cold cases. Um, and so a lot of times detectives just took it out to check, checked it out and never returned it, that kind of thing. So fortunately, the DNA swab is still intact. And oh. so that piece is still there. Um, and based on the reports and crime scene photos, in addition to rage that the attack demonstrated... Detective Nuttall concluded that the burglary scene was staged. He was like, this is off. Like, sure, if you yeah. put it all together, um, you it's can that tell that you're right. It wasn't a real burglary. It didn't make sense. Um, so now they knew someone, a woman who probably knew her, wanted her dead. And so mm. they narrowed it down to five initial uh, people, women they want to swab. Okay. So the first is um, her mother, Loretta, oh. uh, ruled out. I mean, these are people who are providing their DNA voluntarily as well. Okay, gotcha. Uh, Teresa, her sister, also ruled out. Um, Sherry's former roommate, Jane Goldberg, who uh, a close friend and coworker, and they used to live together, also ruled out. And then an unnamed woman, uh, her DNA is also collected. She was reportedly angry with Sherry for passing her up on a promotion, and they think she may have vandalized her car around the time she was murdered. Huh. But she's ruled out. Can you imagine if you had vandalized someone's car and then they turned up dead and you were like, I swear it was Yeah, it's like, okay, that looks super bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The timing like, is really <laughs> shitty. I There's someone who's had to deal with that before. Yeah, for sure. Like, I would be terrified. I'd be like, am I going to jail? Because like they def I'm I definitely like suspicious looking. Part of me, I'd be like, did I do do it like i'm so confused why is it, the timing is so terrible and also like i'd be like i pray to god that they find someone else otherwise i yeah, look so you're the guilty one. i know it's it's like one thing to slash someone's tires but yeah so she's ruled out thankfully finally i guess she's probably relieved um and then that leaves the one person they can think of john rutten's ex-girlfriend a woman they called number five so that they wouldn't tip her off because remember she is an LAPD detective. Right. Okay. And I can tell you now because it's not a secret anymore. Her name was LAPD detective Stephanie Lazarus. 
Okay. So, a little bit about Stephanie. She was born and raised in Southern California from Simi Valley originally, uh, described as a determined woman who couldn't be told she couldn't have or do something, like, very determined. Um, she also attended UCLA, where she met and, like, casually dated John Rutten kind of on and off. Uh, and it was pretty obvious to her friends that Stephanie was far more smitten with John than he was with her. Mm. He saw it as much more casual than she did. So she got her degree in political science from UCLA and joined the police academy in 1983. And she and John continued to have kind of occasional romantic rendezvous. They would like hook up from time to time. Um, and she was still in love with him. And John would later testify that between the years of 81 and 84, they hooked up 20 to 30 times. But she was never like his girlfriend. Like they were right. never officially dating. Um, and so apparently at one point, Stephanie threw John a surprise 25th birthday party but she wasn't aware that he was, like, seriously dating Sherry at this point. So she was humiliated and pissed off because all she wanted was to date him seriously. And right. suddenly within a year he had met and married this woman within, like, a year and yeah, a half. Yeah, well, for, like, to – for someone – to, like, someone who's not really into, like, commitment, it seems. Yeah. Or as far as that's how she probably framed you, it. Right, yeah. right. And now it's, like, uber committed all of a sudden with, with someone else. Right, within, like, a year. Exactly. So she was just devastated. Um, so after learning about their engagement, she wrote to her mother in 1985, like super depressed. She said, I'm truly in love with John. This past year has really torn me up. And she started randomly stopping by Sherry's condo, where John now lives with Sherry, hmm. uh, to ask him to do her little favors, like wax her skis. Can you uh. talk about an innuendo? Hey, I just want you to maybe wax my skis. Ugh. Why don't you wax my skis? Stop. My spine is cold. <laughs> oh, sorry, everyone. So uh, then she steps it up a notch by confronting Sherry at her office at the Glendale Adventist Hospital to tell her that things were not over between her and John and she will be there for him when Sherry's and John's marriage marriage fails. So she's literally Last showing, effort. Wow. Right, showing up to her workplace like to threaten her, basically. Um and so after Sherry's murder, Stephanie continued to rise through the ranks to detective. She ends up marrying another LAPD detective. And 23 years later, she's now the uh, de she's now a detective in the art theft division huh. of the LAPD, which I guess is a pretty high up rank. Um, and according to her computer search history, however, she has not forgotten about John and regularly Googles him to, Interesting. to keep tabs on him. She's only with this guy for, for the short haul. I guess. 20, waiting for the, the real prize. year short haul. Yeah. <laughs> um, undercover investigators. So at this point, LAPD is like, shit, we think we know who it is and it's one of our own. So they released the name as number five. They don't say who it, who it is to not tip her off. Right. And so undercover investigators start following her um, and she discards a coffee cup in a public place, which is now mm -hmm. DNA. Le legally they can use, right, as a DNA uh, sample. And they find that the DNA is a perfect match to the bite swab. Bingo. And that is how she was caught. So in order to question her, so now they know who Sherry's killer is, but they're like, how do we question her without tipping her off that we're on to her? Right. Uh, and so what they do is they don't want her to have a weapon on, because I mean, she has a weapon. She's a police officer. So right. they don't want her to have a weapon on her when they interrogate her. So... What they do is they make up this story. They concoct a story in which they have an art thief in jail and they need Detective Lazarus's opinion about whether or not his info is legit. And in order to enter into the jail, she has to surrender her guns. So she surrenders her guns, walks into the jail, um, and then police kind of sit her down and they're like, hey, so do you remember? And actually, you can watch this uh, interrogation on um, oh, cool. Snapped. And it's so creepy because... 
she's sitting there thinking she's going to interrogate like a suspect and then suddenly she's the one being questioned and like you can t- see her realize when they're like do you remember a man named like john rutten and she's like john rutten and you can see her going like oh i don't know like isn't that a guy i might have dated him for a while like clearly trying Weird. to play it off they're like did you know her uh his fiance and she's like no i don't think i ever met her and then you can see them be like really because like she was murdered and you'd think you would have known she's like oh yeah i totally remember interesting maybe i did meet her a few times and it's super creepy to watch her kind of lying yeah her survival instincts kick in like trying to cover her own ass without like yeah. being prepared whatsoever um and so basically that's it's a disturbing interview um and she she really tries to talk her way out of it after an hour she says are you arresting me or not and she gets up and leaves she walks out of the room and they literally just cuff her and they're like yes we are arresting you oh wow uh she's a detective okay. she knows her rights so she immediately asks for a lawyer uh, the judge sets her bail at $10 million. Oh, shit. Because they're like, she has access to weapons. Right, uh, She's right. a police officer. They double basically what the prosecution had requested. And um, because of her access to firearms, she remains in protective custody, is not able to make a $10 million bailout. And after two years of pretrial motions and hearings, finally the trial of Stephanie Lazarus begins. It's early 2012. And the prosecution paints stephanie as like this obsessive jilted lover who would show up to wax her skis uh <laughs> which uh and then john rutten actually testifies against her and says like yeah she would show up at the house yada yada like she always was into Oof. me and i wasn't into her and she was in love with me yada yada and then um but the defense so stephanie's defense um says you know she has this exemplary clean lapd record uh like the dna is probably not even legit or it's right you might have made a mistake um and so that's kind of how they played off each other and then in march of 2012 a jury of eight women and four men enter into deliberations and after several days they emerge with a guilty verdict on the charge of first degree murder and stephanie lazarus is thus sentenced to 27 years to life to be served at the california institution for women in corona california and in 2015, uh, she filed the last of her appeals, and it was denied. So she is still in prison. And uh, in 2010, the Rasmussen, so Sherry's family, filed a civil lawsuit against the LAPD, alleging a cover-up, violation of civil rights, inflicting emotional distress, among other charges, basically saying they didn't do a good job um, uh, you know, collecting evidence they skimmed over some things because it was a police officer they refused to look into it until they were absolutely forced to this could have been solved a lot earlier but unfortunately this suit was dismissed because um the statute of limitations had been expired by this point so they lost that um and then jennifer francis nay butterworth <gasps> changed her name can you believe it oh my gosh why would you change a name like that why would you come on come i on. know there's a lot of good butterworths out maybe there maybe she married trent maybe <laughs> she married butterbar butterworth <laughs> So Jennifer Francis uh, filed suit against the city of Los Angeles as well, which is interesting because um, she's the one who went on the mission to, like, find this missing uh, bite swab. Okay. So she filed a suit against the city of Los Angeles in late 2013, alleging that her supervisor steered her away when she said she thinks Lazarus, Lazarus, may, Lazarus may have been a suspect. Mm. Um, and she said when she initially analyzed the DNA, she suggested this to her supervisor and they said, no, don't follow that lead basically so she sued and she contends also that this has occurred on several high profile cases that her supervisors basically said 
mm, no, we don't want you to look in that direction, Ooh, even though that's okay. where the evidence pointed. Right, 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 right. However, a jury ruled in favor of the city, and she lost that suit as well. So whether or not there was an LAPD conspiracy to protect Detective Lazarus, um, subsequent investigators who worked on the case and criminologists and experts uh, can all agree on one thing, which is that her murder, Sherry's murder, uh, could have been solved 23 years earlier if investigators had followed correct protocol, had followed up on all leads, and had not, I mean, for lack of a better word, botched the investigation right. uh, with what Detective Nuttall simply now calls utter incompetence. Um, and that oh. is the story of another cold case gone hot. Gone hot, yes. Gone hot and then solved. Uh, story of Sherry Rasmussen. Killed wow. by a police officer. Oh, well. Who Yikes. was a jilted ex-lover. It's just the craziest. It's like a soap opera, this story. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, I don't know. You just think things like that don't happen necessarily in real life. It's like so wild. Yeah, you think I, like oh a robbery and she interrupted a robbery and was killed, but no. And also, it's got to be terrifying with a, a cop on your doorstep, or, right? You know, being like, "Let me in!" Like I'm currently on duty, you have to let me in. Like or, threatening, yeah. Like, probably using her power to get what she wanted. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeesh. And that was part of the they like kind of outlined in the snapped episode like how this scene would have gone down and how she let her got herself into the house and then attacked her and then. Um, ended up hitting her on the head with a vase. That's how she got the, the head Ooh, wound. Yep. And when she tried to reach for the uh, panic button, that's when she like bit her arm. And oh, yeah. the whole scene was played out. It's really disturbing. But um, thankfully, she is behind bars. She's been caught. Justice has been served. Uh, mm. And her family can have a little bit of closure. So Yikes. That's another story for you. That's another one that's like a, almost a 200 stories for you. <laughs> wow. All right. Well. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, hopefully that made your day better. We can't promise hmm. it did, but we hope it did. Uh, other than that, I think we're just hanging out and enjoying the rainy day. Just check us out on social media to follow our tour updates um, and announcements about when we're rescheduling. And uh, otherwise, yeah, keep in touch. Yay. We love you. And that's why we drink. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.